right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell in studio. Scott Jason is going to join us in about 30 minutes from right now. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star 440. Also talk with KU soccer coach Mark Francis at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Today is the KU football receiver preview. If you missed any of our other previews, done the quarterback, running backs, fullbacks, tight ends, check it out on our Best of RCST podcast brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. We'll have the offensive lineman tomorrow and then the defense next week. In total, there's 16 receivers listed on the KU roster when you go look online. And... I guess I'll go through everybody real quick, uh, but it's it's mainly underclassmen, and there's a huge group of freshmen in this group. L.J. Arnold, redshirt freshman. Magic Rector, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Magic, which, great name, just in general, but also for a receiver if he's going to be coming up with these crazy plays. Jordan Brown, Kyler Pearson, Tanaka Scott, Quentin Skinner, Keelan Robinson. That gives you seven freshmen in this unit, whether they're true freshmen, some of them are, are redshirt freshmen, or f- freshmen, I guess is the proper grammar. Sophomores, you have Trevor Wilson, Tristan Golightly, Luke Grimm, Tory Lachlan, former quarterback, Jordan Medley, and Stephen McBride. So you got, what, I believe six of the sophomore group there. So seven freshmen, six sophomores, 13 underclassmen of the 16 receivers for KU. This is a group that could be building somewhere in the future. And then of the juniors, Kevin Terry, he transferred in from Texas Tech, and Jamal Horn, the other one. Horn is the speedster. Scott Chasen actually wrote a really good piece on on Jamal Horn. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, uh, just about his story of getting to KU. It's a really good story, but you're probably going to see him mostly, I would imagine, on special teams, on kick return where he can really use his speed, but maybe he'll be a guy using a couple different situations to have him burn downfield or get the ball in his hand on, on a bubble screen. Who knows? And then the one senior, again, only two juniors, only one senior is Kwame Lassiter. Not only is he a senior, he's a super senior using his extra year with COVID-19, I believe. And he had a good year last year, was your leading receiver. You're asking him to step up, though, into not just being the best receiver on the team and not just to be the leader on the team and groom a lot of these young guys, which is enough to ask on its own. But you're also asking him to be a really good receiver as far as the Big 12 pantheon goes. And he's been a guy I've been really impressed with just talking to, getting to see it at media and so forth. Really mature guy, and that's what you'd imagine for one of your older players, a super senior on the roster, and they need that. Again, 13 underclassmen on the roster. So if a guy like Kwame Lasseter, you know, if this receiving core ends up, we look back in two, three years, and some of these guys have taken off, and you say, yeah, now they're you know juniors or seniors, and you're getting really good production there. I think it'd be important to remember to point back to the fact that Kwame Lasseter has been a big help to these guys getting instituted in their college career. There, there isn't any other seniors on the team for them to look up to in that situation. And Kevin Terry, one of your other, one of your three upperclassmen, 
is a transfer, so he wasn't here last year. Jamal Horn was mostly a special teams player, so he's basically the one guy that everybody looks to. Now, as far as what guys are most likely to play, Emmett Jones said that ideally, and we'll play that audio for you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, he likes it to be because typically you have about three receiver positions on the field, and obviously that changes depending on the situation. Like, there sure could be times where KU runs an empty set down late in the game, they need to pass the ball, and they have five receivers out wide, or they have four receivers out wide with a running back in the backfield or, or a tight end in an empty set, so to speak. But for the most part, you're getting three wide receivers. And, and it honestly might not even be that all the time. If you have five offensive linemen, a quarterback, one running back in the game, and one tight end, that allows you to play three receivers. But now all of a sudden, if you bring in a second running back, which the staff likes to do, or bring in a second tight end, the position group we talked about yesterday that has seemingly been pretty impressive so far in fall camp, if you just bring a second one on of either, now you're down to two receivers on the field at once. I think you're probably going to see a good amount of just two receiver sets as opposed to three, especially if the tight end group does end up being a strength and you maybe do have some more questions about the receiving core. But let's just say it is three guys, and obviously it's better to prepare for that. And Emmett Jones said he'd like to ideally be three deep at all of the different positions. So ideally, you want nine guys that you circle and say, I feel comfortable playing you. As I look at it now, I feel like there's six that stand out, and there could be more. It's hard for me to tell, right? I haven't been around the team watching practices, and so for certain guys who are like true freshmen, obviously I'm only going to be able to, off the limited I've seen or limited I've heard, be able to properly judge that. You know, For all I know, a guy like Jordan Brown is really good, but I've, I've never seen him play for KU. But the six that I think you circle – as feeling confident that they're going to be a part of this rotation. And I don't just mean, oh, well, they got two snaps. I mean, like, consistently a part of the rotation, angling in at the different receiver spots. Obviously, Kwame Lasseter, I think you look at Luke Grimm, the way he finished last season, easy for you to say that he's probably, I don't know, maybe like your slot receiver, that kind of possession guy. He's going to get a lot of snaps in this offense. The transfer from Buffalo, Trevor Wilson, brings a lot of speed. I don't view him as being an every-down receiver, but a guy that you're going to use a good amount. Stephen McBride has has been somebody that has seemingly really impressed a lot of the coaches, has a lot of speed. Redshirt freshman now, I think you look at him. LJ Arnold, we saw him a little bit at the beginning of his freshman career, ended up taking a redshirt. And then I think the other one that you look at is Tanaka Scott, who is a freshman, but we've just heard good things about. Now, maybe somebody else cracks kind of that rotation. Like I said, maybe Jamal Horn is the guy you use in certain situations. Maybe a guy like Tristan Golightly or the former quarterback Tory Lachlan or Magic Rector, Jordan Brown, or somebody fills into that and adds to your number. But right now, I mainly look at that six. So let's focus specifically on that six of guys that I think right now you feel confident are going to get some extent of playing time and the rest, like I said, is just going to be dependent on what shakes out and how practices go over the course of the season, who stays healthy, all that stuff. 35 different receivers qualified for a grade on Pro Football Focus. Now, they grade everybody, but in terms of the qualified ones who played enough snaps to be on the leaderboards of Big 12 wide receivers, you have 35 guys. So on average, about three, three and a half per team in the Big 12. Kwame Lasseter graded out 11th last season among Big 12 receivers. 67 receiving grade, and 
honestly, this might be the biggest thing that's going to make him a mainstay on the field in this offense beyond just being the veteran out there, beyond being probably the top passing target. He had a 74 run blocking grade. That's really good for a receiver. I mean, that, that's good in general, but it's really good for a receiver. He was one of the best run blockers on the team a season ago. He's going to stay on the field for that purpose, even when the offense isn't throwing the ball a whole lot. Lasseter also gave KU a higher graded receiver than Baylor or Kansas State had a season ago when you look at the overall grade. So that's a positive there that you got that from him, and you're looking for another step forward where, who knows, maybe he can be a guy who turns in one of those Steven Sims, Andrew Parchman type seasons where they did end up in the top 10 of the Big 12. They did end up in the top seven of the Big 12 in receiving yards. And maybe that's what you can get from Kwame Lasseter. He wound up with 43 catches, 458 yards a season ago, also had two touchdowns, and first career, 89 catches, 897 yards, and four scores. He's just been a reliable target. The question is, can he make that jump from being a reliable, solid receiver to being a true Big 12 number one? And he's also a reliable punt returner. Like I said, seems like a great teammate, seems like a great guy in the locker room. It'll be really interesting to see the growth of a guy like Kwame Lasseter this extra season at KU. Actually got a chance to catch up with Kwame Lasseter at KU Football Media Days. Here's that conversation. Just got done talking with Trevor Wilson. He said you're the best singer on the team. Is that true? Yeah. He did not say that. He said you're the best singer. He said that you would sing for me on this. <laughs> I don't know why he told you that. <laughs> I, he might have been a rapper. <laughs> so can you rap? Now? I mean, if I can write down my lyrics, okay. then maybe. Not a freestyler. Not no freestyler. Okay. No. Um, what's the favorite song that, that Kenny Logan, the DJ in the locker room, is playing for you guys right now? We hear a lot of testimony by Kodak. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot of outside by Mo3. Mm-hmm. It just depends. Yeah. They got a, they got a uh, deep playlist, so it really depends. Is it pretty light and, and fun in the locker room for you guys right now? Yeah, yeah. It's always fun. Always being around teammates is fun. So you got to uh, make the best out of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would you say the uh, strongest receiver is? Strongest? Yeah. Uh, Trevor Wilson or uh, yeah, Trevor Wilson. Who can jump the highest? Stephen McBride. And he's he the fastest too? Jamal Horn is the fastest. Yeah, Jamal Horn. I would want to put myself in the conversation, but I'm going to just be real. <laughs> Jamal Horn is the fastest. What, what's the biggest difficulty in being a punt returner? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a difficulty. It's something I've been working on for a while. Just uh, It's like a center fielder, so you just get under the ball and make sure you catch it. The main thing is getting the offense on the field. Of course, you want to make the play, but get the offense on the field. The field that's the number one priority. Uh, who is the funniest player in the receiver room? Funniest in the receiver room? Tanaka Scott. Yeah. Yeah. What, what makes him so funny? He's just a goofy kid. <laughs> he likes to work. When, it, when the time comes to work, he works, but other than that, he... Be real goofy. Yeah. What has it been like with the new coaching staff and, and how fast, how many reps they want to do in practice? Is is it just uh, a different mentality? Is there, uh, I mean, what is that like, I guess, in, in a practice setting? Uh, the tempo is always up. Uh, going from one period to another, it's, it's just hustling to the next period, just like always. Uh, they expect a, lot of, I expect a lot out of us, which is good. So tempo's up and just keep moving and uh, making plays. You have a favorite hobby outside of football? Uh, rather chilling, playing the Xbox, mm-hmm. chilling with my girl. It don't matter. Yeah. Uh, what's the favorite game right now on the Xbox? Madden just came out, but okay. Madden the 2K. Yeah. Do you think you'd beat everybody in Madden on the team? I can compete. Yeah. I think uh, one of the best Madden players on the team. I don't know. I, JD get me a few times. JD got me. But other than that, I be I be getting my I be winning. So 
I just like to compete in anything. It don't matter what it is. Who's the team of choice on Madden and Madden 22, right? See, we go randoms. Okay. You go, you go three randoms. You do three randoms. randoms. Yeah, yeah, you do a fourth. You have to pick fourth it. Is, yeah. Fourth is uh, do or die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love it. Same old school thing. Yeah. Is there a team you like to play with the most that you hope you get on the random? Uh, Kind of the Cardinals. Kind of the San Francisco 49ers because they got a uh, fast You like the mobile back. quarterbacks, right? Yeah. I yeah. like See, the mobile quarterbacks be kind of cheap, though. I don't yeah. like that. I like to sit in the pocket <laughs> and throw it. Okay. So, other than that. Uh, right. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate you. you. I can respect that a lot of a guy who doesn't want to. I mean, there's way too many people, and my former, my former co-host. I I feel very, very uh, good putting him on blast about this. Somebody who does like to abuse the game, so to speak. Love the respect of that from Kwame Lasseter. Just a, a good guy to talk to. Like I said, very mature, older guy. He's going to be the leader of this receiving group and he's going to be the guy that they're going to turn to and he's going to be the guy who helps groom them because it is such a young core. Now, among the other qualified receivers for this top 35 on Pro Football Focus, Luke Grimm ranked second last year for KU. He was 24th in the Big 12 overall. Wound up with 19 grabs, 255 yards, had a couple of scores, six games played last season. But if you look at the final four, it gives you a lot of hope for what it could be. 18 catches, 227 yards, and two scores came in the final four games. And if you pace that out over a 12-game season, that would put him on pace for about a 54-catch, 681 yards, six-touchdown, 12-game season for Luke Graham, which for a guy working in the slot is is maybe a, a secondary option behind like Kwame Lasseter. That'd be a really good season. I mean, there's only been four wide receivers since 2010 for KU five receiver seasons, but one was Steven Sims twice, that have surpassed even 600 yards. So that would be a very nice season for Luke Grimm if he could do that. Unlike Lasseter, though, the one thing that Grimm didn't get graded as high on last year, he wasn't the best run blocker, seemed to be more of your classic slot, and I'm going to feel like this is one of those, well, he's just, you know, he's a small white receiver, he's Wes Welker, (laughs) one of those things. But he does seem to be more of your classic like slot short route quick receiver. And the lack of run blocking or outside wide receiver play as a smaller receiver probably means the more of those two tight end looks or two back looks that KU installs, the less he is on the field. But on third down situations, on passing situations, when they do throw out three receivers and when they do throw out four receivers or late in the game when they're having to come back, that probably does mean you see Luke Graham have an impact on the passing game in those situations. Stephen McBride is a guy I'm really interested to see what he can bring to the field here in technically year two at Kansas, but year one overall. Redshirt freshman didn't qualify for the list because he did redshirt last year. He did get some playing time. Four catches, 17 yards as a freshman who took that redshirt. But every time we talk to coaches or different receivers, he seems to get brought up really throughout the camp and in offseason among guys just being impressive so far and seems like a guy who has a ton of speed on the outside. I really wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Kwame Lasseter and Stephen McBride as the two receiver starters, and then if they do start a third, who knows where they go for there, if it's LJ Arnold or Luke Grimm or somebody else. But in his limited time, Stephen McBride, he did have a pretty solid run block grade, and Like I said, he seems to have all kinds of speed at receiver. So very interested in what he can do and if he can break out as a youngster. And if he does, 
then you're going to feel really good about, oh, that was just as a freshman. Now imagine what he's going to do as a sophomore next year. LJ Arnold just mentioned him. He's another guy didn't see a ton from in terms of limited availability last year. I think he had to deal with some injuries. He got 85 snaps a season ago, more than McBride, but still not much of a sample size there. He came in with a strong high school pedigree. I mean, he was big-bodied, three-star wide receiver, kind of got off to a bad start. I, I think the first target he ever saw was from Thomas McVitie, that pass that was uh, off his hands or maybe his helmet or something. It got tipped up in the air. It was intercepted by Coastal Carolina, so your first target turns into an interception. But the guy seems to have the exact body you want from one of those big outside wide receivers seems to have a lot of potential. And still, just like many of these receivers, is very young. And with that big body, I'd imagine he'd be a good run blocker. And he was last year, grade-wise, even though, again, small sample, graded as a good run blocker, which is going to get you on the field in this offense when you are running the ball more, when you are being a team who wants to use that wide zone, get on the outside, and hope guys can keep their blocks on the outside. That's going to get you on the field. And then you combine the ability that situationally, I'm sure he's a guy that you're kind of salivating over using in the red zone, using on fade routes, using his big body to make some space for you when things get tighter down in the red area. Six catches, 45 yards a season ago last year. He was seventh among receivers, though, at KU for receiving grade on Pro Football Focus. So just among KU receivers, seventh. So that has to be the area of improvement for him. I don't know if it's just being more technical, improving his route running, yards after catch, but he seems to have the body for it. Potential seems to be there. Him, LJ Arnold, and Stephen McBride are the two young guys. You know, I guess I could still count Luke Grimm, but I, I should say freshmen are the two freshmen that I think could have the biggest impact on the receiver group. There's another guy, though, who's a true freshman. Those two are redshirt freshmen, and he's one of the two newcomers that I put in that like group of six, so to speak. Tanaka Scott. First of all, if you uh, can we get this fixed? If you go to Tanaka Scott's like player profile on the KU Athletics website, it is a picture of an emoji of Tanaka Scott. It is not like a portrait of Tanaka Scott. It is not one of the actually like team photograph pictures. It's just an emoji, a floating head emoji of Tanaka Scott, to which I say, if you're 6'4", as just a head, I mean, man, I don't even know what to think. Like, I, I'm a little worried. You know, the picture doesn't have any arms or legs, doesn't have a body. Not sure how he's going to catch the ball without any hands. But again, like, let me mention that frame. Six foot four. This is a freshman. Seems to be a guy with pretty good acceleration and straight line speed. Former three star recruit. He didn't have crazy stats in high school. So I don't know what to think about that. You never know the situation in high school. You could be on a team who runs the ball every play, runs power, runs triple option or something. But he was a three-star recruit, and a big reason why, I'm sure, is the potential when you look at the frame of his body and you see some of the speed that he has. So he could be a guy that really impacts things right away. I wouldn't imagine as the full-time starter, the guy that's out there all the time, but maybe in certain situations and is part of that top group of six guys. The last guy that I had in that group of six is another newcomer. Trevor Wilson. Wilson transferred in from Buffalo, and he's an interesting study because he has as much speed as you want from a wide receiver. I think he's going to have a big impact on special teams. Last year for Buffalo, 
he was kind of a situational guy. Right? You throw him into certain formations or plays to have him run a deep post or run a streak and get downfield, stretch the defense, and make some big plays. And the result of that was him having the highest receiver grade on Pro Football Focus of any of the Buffalo receivers. He had an 87 out of 100 receiver grade, which is really, really good, but he was only fourth for receivers in snap count. The top three had better run blocking numbers, so maybe he wasn't on the field as much for that. Maybe he's less of a versatile weapon and more of a, you know, we're going to use him in, in special situations like bubble screens, those deep posts, the long balls, and those sorts of things. And that's what maybe limited his play. But in specifically what they were asking him to do at Buffalo, again, graded out very well in those situations. Now, in the open practice, seemed like he was having a couple drop issues, but that could have just been one bad day. At the end of the day, I don't think he's going to be asked to do much, you know, catch a quick slant in traffic or catch a drag route in traffic and hold on to it with a hit. I think most of what you're looking at Trevor Wilson doing is getting him in open space or tracking down a deep ball. But in the limited play, 16 catches, 319 yards, so about 20 yards a catch, three touchdowns for Trevor Wilson. I think that's kind of what you look at him for being in this year. He's not probably going to get as many snaps as a guy like LJ Arnold because LJ Arnold is going to be a better run blocker for you. But Trevor Wilson might have more receiving yards, might have more receiving touchdowns than a guy like LJ Arnold. So it's just kind of situationally how you use them. Got a chance to catch up with Trevor Wilson as well. You heard in the earlier interview talking about the best singer on the team with Kwame Lasseter. Here is the conversation with Trevor. Are you the fastest guy on the team? <laughs> um, we got some pretty some pretty fast guys. Uh, I think one thing I could say, this has been uh, one of the best, how do I put it? Uh, this team right here has a lot of fast guys. I'll give you some that. Uh, as far as coming over from Buffalo with the different staff, have you kind of helped guys learn along what the staff wants, the playbook, all that different stuff? Uh, yes, sir. I feel like that was uh, one of my biggest jobs. I know coming in and competing for a spot is a big thing, but as far as helping the team, which I'm a big team player, that's something I took very seriously since I've been here. What's your favorite route to run? <laughs> Post. Yeah? Yes, sir. Is that the easiest one to kind of use off your speed? Exactly, yes, sir. Punt returning, kick returning, is there one you like more that you find a little easier? Uh, yes, sir. I would always prefer uh, kick return, but right now I'm just thinking about whatever best helps the team. That's what I'm going to do. Punt returning, what's the biggest key to success? Is a punt returner versus the key to success is a kick returner? Uh, I feel like the key, the key to success is just uh, reading your blogs, just having the, the best 11 guys on the team to perform their job and all being together on the same page. Who throws the best post route? <laughs> uh, I like them all. We got some good deep ball throwers, some good, uh, we got a good competition going at quarterback. I think we all got, got some good, some good arms, some good throws. How often do you see that one of your quarterbacks can be one of the fastest guys on the team? I mean, how fast is Jason Bean? He's blazing, he's blazing. But, um, like I said again, it's a lot of guys that's, like, we even have this chart that shows the top speed guys that we're all just, and then one through five, just keep going back and forth. There's a lot of guys that's pretty fast on the team. Is that a constant competition between you guys? Yes, sir. Yeah. You guys talk trash to each other about it? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Who's the biggest trash-talking receiver? Uh, I think that's something that Coach Jones does not tolerate, <laughs> so we don't do much of that. Yeah. Uh, what about the DBs? They trash-talk you guys at all? No, we keep all that under control during practice because uh, we like to keep everything moving during practice, so we keep all that to a minimum. 
Uh, I heard that Kenny Logan is kind of the DJ in the locker room sometimes. Is there anybody else who spins the music? <laughs> That's Kenny's job. Yeah? Yes, sir. He told me it was a pretty, uh, pretty widespread playlist with different different music. Do you have a favorite pump-up song? Uh, favorite pump-up song? Yeah. We like to go with... Uh, Kodak testimony. I feel like that's a big, a big theme song for this team. Are there any good singers on the team? Good singers. Mm-hmm. I give it the, I give it the Kwame, Kwame Lashley. He's a good singer. Okay. Um, who's the funniest guy on the team? <laughs> funniest guy. Or at least the receiver group. Oh, that's easy. Uh, Tanaka Scott. Okay. What is he? Just a funny guy? Just the way he acts? Is it jokes? What is it? He's a funny guy. He's easy to get along with. Uh, he listens well. He follows well. And I just like him as an all-around person. Any hobbies outside of football? Yes, sir. I love to fish. Love to fish. So there's a couple people I've asked who have said fishing. I talked to Hayden Hatcher. He likes to go bow fishing. Yeah. Have you ever done that? No, sir. Never been. He, he plans on taking me, though, when okay. things slow up. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, that's a common theme. A lot of these players like to go fishing. Maybe uh, they'll catch Mike DeBoard out there on one of these trips. That is your wide receiver preview. We'll have more of it coming up later in the show. Coming up next, though, Scott Jason of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want to clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. Welcome back in. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined in studio, Scott Chasen, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. And Scott is in here because he had to sign some papers for he's going to be joining us on the KU football pregame broadcast. I've not announced that until right now. Until this exact moment, I'm very (laughs) happy to be joining Derek. It'll just be, what, just for an hour before Mm -hmm. uh, some of the games, but a little bit of pregame. We'll bring some of our coverage in from Mm -hmm. 24-7 Sports and talk about the game with, uh, with one of the best. Oh well, thank you. That was that was a very nice. I was start to I was day. talking about Brandon McCaffrey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to start an hour before every game. Now, obviously, this next Friday, the game is on a Friday, so mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to do a live Rock Chalk Sports Talk from Mama's Tamale Shop. Scott will join us for the final hour of that from three to five thirty. He'll be there four thirty to five thirty, and we'll be giving away some stuff. We'll have some promo people there. They'll have really good food at yeah. Mama's Tamale Shop. But yeah, doing the pregame show. Same for Saturdays. There's going to be some Saturdays where. I'm not going to be there. Scott will be there. We'll have mm-hmm. somebody else going with Scott. I think there's going to be an away game that we might be doing as well that I think I might be just dropping on you right now that we might <laughs> just got news about um, for a different business, which will be Jefferson's for a different game, which we'll get to that down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we'll talk some football, do a pre-pre-game of, of what we're going to do. I, I was doing the receivers uh, today. I've been mm-hmm. previewing all the different positions. 
16 receivers are on the roster for Mm -hmm. KU. Of that group of 16, I mean, ideally or realistically, how many of those guys do you actually view as being contributors this season? And I don't just mean that, oh, he played today, he played two snaps. I mean, like, guys who are consistently in that mix. Well, isn't that a scary thing to think about, first of all, because whatever this number is, and Emmett Jones said like nine when he was yeah, saying he, he wanted, wanted. He yeah. wants three at every position. Um, Kansas has zero returning receivers coming back that are considered probably Big 12 number ones and maybe Big 12 number twos. Obviously, Kwame Lasseter was that last year, but he started the year as the number three, an injury situation versus, or, or in addition to how kind of defenses were playing Andrew Parchment um, and Andrew Parchment's frustration, I would say, kind of led to him being a number one. But Kwame Lasseter, uh, at this point, I mean, I, I think it's good if he's your number two. It's great if he's your number three, but it's a question. Uh, if he's your number one. So you have a lot of guys behind him that if you're not so sure about him, now you're even less sure about all those other guys, right? Like LJ Arnold is an example of someone that I think will play. I think has a great chance to start, but you know, what did he play in a couple games last year and he dealt with injury and he tipped up a pass in the air that got picked off and that was <laughs> That was his first target. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was all we really saw of him. And then Stephen McBride's another one. I mean for, what, two years now, we've heard Stephen McBride, Stephen McBride, Stephen McBride. He's fast. He's long. He's got length. He can go up and get a ball. All this stuff. Um, the first time I see that on the field will be the first time I've seen it. Or the next time I see it on the field will be the first time I've seen it. Um, and that's not to, you know, discredit anyone. Emmett Jones is very excited about him. It's just a matter where you haven't seen it. So, like, I, I guess we're going to learn a lot. Trevor Wilson's another one. Love Trevor Wilson's speed, love his explosiveness, but Derek, you and I have been out at practices. I've seen him fumble multiple punts. I've seen him drop catches where it's like, oh, you understand why this guy still has some work to do to get in the mix. And and what about Luke Grimm? Luke Grimm has almost been a, a I don't want to say a disappearing act, but Luke Grimm had, had four or five really good games and then in the spring game just got completely erased by Karan Prunty. I mean, I thought he wasn't playing at first. Uh, I was sharing a conversation with another beat writer. I was like, oh, is Luke Grimm injured? He's, he's not out there today. And then I was like, oh, no, he's there. Oh, who's guarding him? Not nine. Nine is guarding him. That's why he hasn't gotten open today. So there are a lot of questions. I'm not saying that unit's going to be bad. I actually think it has some potential to be pretty good. I think there are young guys like Tanaka Scott who they're really excited about. Um, you know, Magic Rector is another one I think they could be, you know, excited about even if he doesn't play immediately. But a lot of question marks. That, to me, is like the hardest unit to nail down because I think you know who those top few guys are. You just don't know if they're Big 12 caliber. Mm-hmm. That would be the way I'd put it. Yeah, the way I look at it, of that 16, like I, I feel like there's maybe six guys who you think of as being those yeah. contributors with Arnold, Tanaka Scott, Trevor Wilson, Luke Grimm, Kwame Lasseter, and Stephen McBride. Yes. Like, those are the six to me. And maybe somebody else like like a Tristan Golightly or a Jamal Horn. I think Horn's going to be more of your special teams guy. But somebody like that, or like you said with Rector, somebody like that steps up into that role. But if there is only six guys, so to speak, as part of that rotation, you mentioned what Emma Jones said, needing you know eight or nine guys or nine guys with three deep at three different positions. When you hear kind of the talk about maybe the staff liking the tight end group yeah. at the – at the the school, I wonder if they're just going to move to more formations where you're only using two receivers. And if you use either a second running back or if you use a second tight end, then all of a sudden you're only using two receivers on the field at the same time. I wonder if that is the solution to maybe not feeling like you have as many guys who are Big 12 caliber right now. Well, I think if the entire running backs room is healthy, you'd see a lot of like 21 personnel, two running backs, and then one tight end. 
I think you'll see, as things stand right now, a lot of 12, one running back, two tight ends. And I think if Kansas were to go five wide, it might be, uh, I don't even know how you'd say it, 03 personnel. <laughs> you might have three tight ends yeah. and two receivers. Um, I'm not sure that's a, a thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's there are so many question marks. And, and, you know, Quentin Skinner is a good example. That's like a name that we've heard. But, like, is that a name we're hearing now because he's really standing out with his size and his tools? Or is it is he a name that's standing out because maybe that injury isn't as deep as they thought? Maybe, um, you know, either due to injury, obviously they lost guys via transfer, guys they would have loved to have back on last year's team. I mean, Les Miles said it himself that they would have loved to have Stephon Robinson and Andrew Parchment back. Um, and, and obviously both those guys have moved on. You know, what's really funny to me is you go back to – Carter Stanley's senior year, and you think about the receivers they had, and it wasn't just that they had Andrew Parchment and Stephon Robinson, who I believe complemented each other uh, in, in a great way. You had Dalen Charlotte as that third receiver, and Dalen Charlotte was a guy who always should have had more chances than he got, but those chances finally came around in his last year, and a lot of the reason they did is because you're going to double-team Parchment, you're going to double Stephon Robinson, you're going to have a safety cheating over somewhere, and it's just going to be one-on-one. And I don't care what issues Dalen Charlotte had with running a route the right way or learning this X play or this whatever. If you give me Dalen Charlotte, a former, if he wasn't a five-star, he was a, four, a high four-star, I can't remember. You give me former Alabama wide receiver Dalen Charlotte and any defensive back in the nation one-on-one, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to throw it that direction and, like, we'll see what happens. And, you know, I, I think for Kansas, that's what you have to get back to. It, it's not just about having one guy like a Kwame Lasseter. If Kwame Lasseter is your number two and you have an Andrew Parchment as your number one, that's great. But then what that really does is it opens it up for that third guy. Luke Grimm, in many cases, was kind of that guy last year. Maybe he was more of the Stefan Robinson number two who was getting open because Andrew Parchment was attracting so much attention. But the receivers really have to work in conjunction. And, and I think especially at a place like Kansas that has had quarterback issues, you just have to develop so many more of those guys than you have. Um, I think there are great opportunities to start the season for the receivers not named Kwame Lasseter because Kwame Lasseter will definitely attract the most attention, which will give them chances to work against guys who maybe aren't as good. Um, but, you know, they actually have to prove that they're worthy of that because if they're not, then Kwame's going to have a hard time getting open. The boxes are going to be stacked for the running backs and the quarterbacks aren't going to have anywhere to go with the ball. Yeah, I think that is the position that was hit the hardest by the transfer portal. You could argue the D-line, but I think they're actually going to be okay yeah. on the D-line this year. I am worried about that receiving group. And it's weird because you go back even just two years ago, like we always mention now that you know Carter Stanley was like the beacon of hope at the quarterback <laughs> position compared to everything else that has happened over the last decade. And it wasn't that Carter Stanley was an all-Big 12 player, but he just wasn't, you know, you didn't have the worst QB play in the Big 12 yeah. that year. But also there's a good you know, I guess lesson in pointing out there that it does matter about the guys around the quarterback. Mm. Because when you look at the 2019 team, you have Akeem Adeniji, and the offensive line was, again, not necessarily the best in the Big 12, yeah. but it wasn't the worst like it was last year. And you have that receiving group with all three of those guys, like Andrew Parchment, Stephon Robinson, and uh, Dalen Charlotte, and even at that point, Kwame Lasseter was yeah. the number four. Yeah. That's actually a good receiving core. A great group, yeah. yeah. And you had that around Carter Stanley. You had Khalil Herbert for a little and, and Puka Williams behind Carter Stanley. That is a really good room yeah. around the quarterback. And I think as much as you might want the quarterback to, to show all this stuff, you might not really have that ability this year yeah. with that receiving core. Well, think about it like this. I mean, That Carter Stanley team put up, what, 48 points against Texas, 
37 against Texas Tech. They were down 17-0 and came back in that game in back-to-back weeks. Then they kind of hit that snag. I I forget what that next game was. I think it was Kansas State, and it might have been Oklahoma State after that. Then they have that Iowa State game where they scored 31 points. They opened up the offense in the second half, and they had a chance What they were either leading in the fourth quarter, and I think Iowa State got a late touchdown and two-point conversion maybe, um, or maybe it was a fourth-down conversion for a touchdown that stretched the lead out to 10 at the end. So it didn't look that close. But I believe Kansas led at least two more games in the fourth that they lost. And then obviously, you know what, you score 48 points at Boston. That showed you what the the kind of collection of weapons can do. And I think that's the one thing that probably scares you about this year's KU team. It's not that you don't trust the running backs. I think they're good running backs. It's not that you don't like Kwame Lasseter. I think Kwame Lasseter is a really good route runner. I think he has the potential to be a Stephon Robinson type of, you know, maybe you don't expect him to be able to get open as often as he does, but he kind of just finds a way because he knows what he's doing when he runs routes and he's he's taking in coaching and all these things. But it's just, do they have the complementary pieces? I think that's so, uh, so very much the case of the wide receivers this year. I think it's just a question of, you know, if LJ Arnold is as good as I think people think he can be, if Trevor Wilson is as good as I think he can be, okay, you're covered. You don't need any more. But if those guys aren't quite to that max potential, who steps up? And I think that's a big question. Okay, so you did your latest piece, and you did this last year too at Fog.net, talking about if you could take one guy off the previous year's team. Yes. Who would it be? Puka Williams was not the answer. So I'm going to take this a step further. Mm-hmm. You could take any player from the Orange Bowl team Oh no! and put him onto this roster. Who are you going with? Well, okay. Todd, come on down. I, I think. That, <laughs> I, yeah. You know, okay. You can't pick Todd Reesing. That's yeah. that's too obvious an answer. Well, here here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I like doing this activity, I do this for the offense and the defense in our countdown to KU football column. Um, I pick one player from the last year on offense, one on defense. You get to bring him back for one more year. And the reason why I love this activity is because you end up picking players that are just kind of weird. And, like, the good example is I did my top three with the Kansas offense, and on my first draft, Puka Williams was not in it. And he's the most special talent. You could put him anywhere. He could be a returner. I had Antoine Frazier, who played no games for Mm. Kansas but transferred before the season and started at, like, Northern Iowa. I had him at, like, number two because I was like, think about this. A tackle with Big 12 playing experience that the team was expecting to start last year before he opted out due to COVID and then ended up transferring. And, like, who is he? He's not Andrew Parchment. He's not Stephon Robinson. He's not Puka Williams. He's not, you know, whoever. He's not Thomas McVitie, um, you know, who played, like, all of a half. Um, He's, like— for effect, I'm not, you know, saying this about him because I think he's a good player, but he's like a nobody that like no one cares about. And yet he might actually be the pick. You might say, yeah, like, let's take another Big 12 tackle. Um, and I think it's always funny how those things work out. So, you know, I I, I probably don't know enough about the specifics of the Orange Bowl roster. I'm guessing there would well, be. Well, here, enough. let me help you narrow it down because yeah. I think there are. I'd probably go offensive line is, is what I'm getting to. It, it probably wouldn't be a skill position guy if I couldn't pick I him. think there are probably three or four good candidates for go this. For if, it, and again, off. this is us saying you can't take Todd Reesing because yes. that's too obvious an answer. I'm taking him. One would be that offensive lineman, Anthony Collins. Yes. Who Anthony Collins in 2007 was a first-team All-American offensive yeah. lineman. That would be very helpful. That's, the, that's probably the pick. Okay, but. Counterpoint, you could argue that the offensive line is more than just one guy. So yeah. even if you had one guy but he doesn't have good chemistry with the other four, sure. what does it matter? You could also argue, as we're talking receivers today, yeah. Desmond Briscoe. I going to say you got a couple. Carrie Meyer. Yeah, you got a couple. Right? Get, I mean, if you had Desmond Briscoe to this bunch, all of a sudden it, it really changes how you're looking yeah. at things. The other guy, and this honestly might be my pick, mm-hmm. is Aqib Tlaib. 
He was a first-team All-American. And think about yeah. this. Aqib Tlaib played both ways. He wasn't a full-time player on the offense, but used him a little at receiver. So if you figure this receiving core, because you used him a little at receiver when you had those guys. Sure. With this receiving core, he's playing more. With this receiving core, he might be a starting receiver. So you're getting that out of him. He's your best defensive player at that point. He is mentoring that really young secondary that you yeah. have right now with young guys like Jacoby Bryant and so forth. I don't know. He would be up there for me. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I get to do both, right? Because I pick one from the offense okay, and one yeah. from the defense. The defense one actually just came out today. And it's crazy when you have to get into the scenario of, like, would Karan Prunty help this team more? Or, like, Dejon Terry in mm-hmm. the middle? Or, like, what about adding a linebacker? What about Drew Prox? Yeah. Like, that was a, a healthy name. Drew Prox, yeah. Michael Swain, uh, who covers uh, Iowa State for 24-7 Sports, used to work with me on the Kansas site. Um, he brought that up. I, I gave him my list. I was like, well, it's got to be Karan Prunty, Marcus Harris, Dejon Terry. Those are your top three. He was like, what about Drew Prox? And I was like... What about Drew Prox? Like, that is an interesting little, like, how much better would you feel about this Kansas linebackers group if you had this monster who's making 10 tackles a game um, in there? I think yeah. one year I picked Joe Deneen for the Coleman. I was like, he's not the best player that's leaving, but, what you know, you need linebackers. Right. Kansas has not produced good linebackers really since that tandem with Joe Deneen when Bryce Tornaden was also kind of, he was a safety, but he was sort of playing a, a hybrid linebacker role. So I think I think Tlaib is probably an obvious pick for the defense because the cornerbacks, at least the way I see see it they have talent but if you think there are question marks about the receivers and who you can trust find me a cornerback who has done anything in a big 12 game I mean anything and that's all your starters that's Romello Dotson that's Deuce Mayberry that's Jeremy Webb who has had success albeit at Missouri State previously at Virginia Tech Uh, injuries kind of derailed things there that's obviously Jacoby Bryant who if you want to say against Big 12 competition he had a pick six at the spring game he had another one that probably would have been a pick six at that open practice but he's never played in a game and none of these guys I mean some of them have game experience but you lose Elijah Jones who's at Oregon State now you lose Kyle Mayberry who you know Utah State not the you know biggest school whatever but I I think having veterans in the room is always helpful And, and you know, just losing Karan Prunty, who we don't obviously know what his, I guess, second transfer situation is going to end up being. But he went to South Carolina and was, like, immediately the starter there. And, like, that tells you – I mean, I'm reading – I read practice reports all around our network, and it's like – I read one on Andrew Parchment that was like, Andrew Parchment is standing out of Florida State. And I read one at Auburn that was like, Marcus Harris took no time to impress at Auburn. And it was like, oh, my God, there was Can so Can you much imagine talent. if at the end of the year, like, Andrew Parchment's all ACC, Marcus Harris is all SEC, yeah. Karan Prunty is all whatever conference, and Dejon Terry is like a <laughs> contributing player. Like, uh, you're gonna look back on this and say, "Is that a bowl team if they're all with Kansas?" I and and here's what I said last year. I told people as as Kansas was flying, I said this was the plan always. 2020, or excuse me, 2019, you're gonna maximize the Beatty roster. 2020 was gonna be just absolutely horrible. 2021 was gonna be progress, and 2022, four plus wins. If not a bowl game, 2023 bowl game. People are like, that's crazy, this winless team. How can you say they're two years away? And it's like, think about what this team has now. And people think, well, maybe it's a one-win team, maybe it's a two-win team, whatever. Okay, now add a lockdown corner, uh, an SEC de- two SEC defensive linemen, yeah. one of which is going to be a starter, uh, an ACC wide receiver, again, who is going to be a starter. Like, oh, yeah, now you add that in, and maybe this is a two-, three-, four-win team. And then, oh, by the way, with another year of growth when all those guys are upperclassmen, yeah, that's how you – Get win four games. It's you know for the I I use that as the benchmark because they haven't done that since what like oh nine. That's how you win four games. That's how you get to a bowl game is you collect all that talent. And I think Kansas had that. Now I think losing a lot of that sets you back. 
I don't think it sets you back tremendously. Obviously, Andrew Parchment would not have been on this team, um, same as Stephon Robinson, just because their eligibility would have run out um, for future years. So you you do have to develop players behind them. But I think where that probably hurts is this year. Uh, with all those guys, I think the floor of this team probably would have been two or three wins, like the floor. Whereas now, I think a, a realistic floor is zero because you don't know what's going to happen in that first game. So that that's why I like doing this, you know, nonsensical, hypothetical, acti- you know, just activity of, hey, if you could bring back anyone, who would you bring back? Because it just makes you ponder all these weird things like, yeah, what if Drew Prox had come back? What if Antoine Frazier never transferred? And, and you're sitting there with a list of, like, Parchment, Puka, Stefan Robinson, and, like, making arguments for these, like, obscure guys. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think what we've learned after Carter Stanley left, that was the year Hakeem Adeniji also went to the NFL, and I did that, and I picked Carter Stanley to return. And in hindsight, I think that would still have been a decent pick for last year's team, but, like, hard to not go with Hakeem based yeah. off how the line turned I mean, out. honestly, with the line, I don't know if it would have mattered having Carter Stanley. It, exactly. And, and like, a guy like Todd Reesing is such an exception mm-hmm. of, like, oh, he can run around like a lunatic and then toss the ball backward between his legs and, like, oh, it's a 40-yard touchdown. Des Briscoe caught it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just a fun activity because I think you take these it, – it, what it teaches you is – what positions do you feel the worst about? Not where did you lose the the most talent. It's like where do you really feel like, gosh, if you could just get one more guy in there. I think on offense that's wide receiver. I think on defense that's cornerback. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, before I let you go, uh, the next time I'll talk to you, I, I don't know if you plan on still coming on the show Thursday since you'll yes. be on Friday as well. Okay, so we will talk to you next Thursday. Will we have heard who the starting quarterback is by then? Well, I think that was the big takeaway from Lance Leipold's press conference, aside from really not wanting to talk about season injuries, uh, season-ending <laughs> season injuries. He uh, he made it a point to shut down that one real quick. Um, understandable. I know a lot of coaches are like that. I'm just kind of joking around. But uh, No, uh, it, was, it was funny watching him kind of dance around <laughs> some of that. Like, he was not having it. He was he was shut tight like Fort Knox. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, his knowledge of being like, oh, I know what you're trying to do here. <laughs> nope, not happening. Yeah, he, he got me on one of them, and then he got someone else <laughs> on one of them. So I was I was first on that, but um, uh, to get uh, not snapped at, but um, look, I, I think the news updates with the quarterback. One, he said a rotation has not been discussed, but that's not what that's not the same thing as saying the packages uh, that he wants for maybe another quarterback to come in have have not been discussed. Now, to me, what that is always read as is like if Miles Kendrick wins the job. This, this is my opinion. This is me reading into his comments. If Miles Kendrick is the starter, we're going to give someone else the chance to beat him out throughout the season, and we're going to have another package for a Jason Bean. He didn't explicitly say that, but that's how I read his comments at that open practice when he said, like, multiple guys could play, even if it's not the ideal, or if someone catches the first quarterback. What that read to me is, yeah, there's a safe choice right now, but boy, would we like if another guy could come and win that job or maybe get some packages. Um, we'll see how it progresses, but I think the fact that he said, I'm not ready to name a leader, and I probably wouldn't tell you even if I was, that tells me this thing is going. I, I mean, what, the day of the first game? We're not getting a uh, a Twitter announcement that Peyton Bender is the starter a week and a half before game one, like, like was the case a couple of years ago, which, by the way, I think I'm cool to say this because it was a previous everything on staff. That got news dumped so hard. Um, (laughs) I I think, I can't remember what it was, but like a huge breaking story came down. It was Friday afternoon on Donald Trump, like the literal president. And then like two minutes later, it was like Peyton Bender, QB1. And I was like, oh my goodness, they've done it. Uh, Anyway. um, Goodbye. Wait, was that David Beatty when they... They announced, like, they didn't announce who the quarterback was until game time when they did the the PA, like, whatever that is, 45 minutes before the mm-hmm. game. 
and whoever they announced on the board was not actually the starter. What it what it was that was a different year. But what that one was is they announced both quarterbacks as the starter because <laughs> like they announced one and it was like oh that was and we're literally forty five minutes before game time. <laughs> we're all typing and then it's like starting at quarterback. Carter Stanley. Oh, okay, interesting. Carter is also starting at quarterback. <laughs> Peyton Bender was like, "What? Excuse me, what?" And and my favorite is because that just gets taken from like the media guide or whatever. But like, it, it, like the announcers just drop it at the same time, like on the pregame ESPN Plus broadcast or whatever. Man, it, it's to me. I, I will say, I think this is the one big difference. David Beatty was in love with the idea of not telling an FCS team who his quarterback yes, was going to be. Yes, he thought it was a. He thought it was the Charlie Weiss decisive schematic advantage. Yeah, no one has ever loved any. I mean, you should hope that if you have a, a wife or husband, you should hope you love them as much as David Beatty <laughs> loved not telling an F- FCS team who his quarterback was. And, and the number of times in a press conference, not to, I'm not not being mean. Um, in press conference, he would be like, you know. Uh, someone would ask him a question, like Benton Smith would ask him a question, and he would go like, nice try, coach, and then name the coach of the other team. And he's like, I'm not giving that one to you. And it's like, uh, okay, but like we're just trying to find like right stories and stuff. Anyway, um, I, I don't think it's it's that case. I think in this case it's, hey, Lance Leipold, you know, he used the line, I haven't seen these guys throw since, you know, the start in, until the start of fall camp. I'm going to call BS on that a little bit because the boys, there are a lot of practice footage. And I don't care how you're teaching it. Throwing a football is throwing a football. And there are things you can watch and learn and see from film of the last year and know. But I think when you've only been around kids a couple weeks, I mean, all the coaches were saying last week, you know, hey, it was basically spring ball, 15 practices. Now it's time for fall camp. Um, I think that tells you that that gives you some insight and tells you hey, you know, we, we sure would like to see these guys do a couple things our way, see how it looks, and then make the decision. So I think it's reasonable for them this year to take it into that last week. But there, there probably is a leader. They probably just don't want to tell us who it is. He's Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports. We'll have him back on tomorrow twice, or next week, not tomorrow, next week, twice, twice <laughs> because of our uh, KU football pregame stuff. At Mama's Tamale Shop. Scott, thank you for the time and looking forward to working with you. That was a very eloquent quote. Uh, eloquent. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not even going to try, Derek. Thanks for having train me. Wreck, train wreck <laughs> to end this segment. That's Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Richie Boswell with me as well. Zane in here as well, learning... How to run the board. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Stars is going to join us in about 25 minutes from right now. And then at the 5 o'clock hour, we will continue with our receiver preview here. First of all, Richie, how are you doing, by the way? Last time we talked to you here, you were eating a Carolina Reaper. Um, how'd the weekend go for you? How are you feeling now? Still any side effects? No, not anymore. But, it, dude, it was, it was awful. It was really, really <laughs> bad. That... Uh... You know, and then I was on the show. I, I remember saying, oh, we're good. Let's, let me just step my game up. I'll have like five of those, <laughs> you know, and dude, I'm telling you, like it wasn't, it really wasn't the, when you ate the Carolina Reaper. Yes, it was hot. It was, it didn't feel good, but it was like two to five hours after you ate it. Mm. That was awful. And I remember just, we, you and I were texting after that, man. It was bad, man. It was, it was a really awful, nauseating experience after you know, you just—I was in the fetal position at one moment. It just was—it was awful. It was th- this, but other than that, right now we're good. We're well, good. I'm glad you're okay now. I'm glad you've made it through. And now we are going to—I mean, that was a bit of a challenge. So we're going to get on 
to our top 10 best challenges. We did our top 10 worst challenges last week. No, it was Tuesday. Wow, I've already forgotten the days here. So now we get to our top 10 best challenges. Let's get it going with the 10th best challenge. And again, this was inspired by the Crate Challenge. Give me number 10. Number 10. Number 10 on the list, movies called The Challenge. There have been a couple movies called The Challenge that have been released. They didn't score super well, but you look at IMDb, they're in the low sixes. That's good enough. So sometimes there's not always these great challenges, but got to find 10 to fill the list. So movies called The Challenge are in at number 10. Have you ever seen a movie called The Challenge? I have not seen that. Okay. A lot of people probably haven't. Neither have I. But good enough to get to number 10. I trust IMDb. Number nine. Ninth on the list, the Dodge Challenger. Are you a Dodge Challenger fan? I'm not a Dodge Challenger fan. Mm. <laughs> it's, a nice, look, it's a good car, but I don't know. Not big on it. I feel like it's a knockoff Ford Mustang. Maybe. Yes. But. I, gas goes But it is good enough to be number nine. It's a car, which cars are still cool. You can drive places and. You know, it's still cooler than just driving around in like a Prius. Although maybe not for the environment, but cooler to look at. That's for sure. All right, give me the next one. Number eight. The Summer Reading Challenge no. at the Lawrence Public Library. You don't like reading? You don't like... Uh, I, I, Dude, I think I have ADHD. You don't like society <laughs> progressing it. from being smart and writing down you, you things ca- and caught, reading you it? You caught me, yes. I, I think everyone... Where would we be without the ability to read, Richie? <laughs> I, I don't know. Exactly. We would be in a world of hurt. We'd be where you were last week in the fetal position. We wouldn't know what to do. So the Summer Reading Challenge at the Lawrence Public Library in at number eight of the top ten best challenges. Number seven. The NFL Quarterback Challenge. They used to do this. I know they had it at the Pro Bowl. I I think they might have done it elsewhere as well where they would have all these quarterbacks do these different drills. You know, who can throw through the net? Who can make these crazy throws? Who can throw the furthest? Who can hit the crossbar? The NFL quarterback challenge, fun to watch, probably was the best part about the old Pro Bowl, the different challenges they were doing. I think they're also throwing, what, moving targets too? All kinds of things. all kinds of stuff, yeah. You know, throwing footballs over somebody's head to knock off an apple. I don't know. Whatever you want. The NFL quarterback challenge, they can do it because they are very good at throwing footballs. Number six. The Challenge TV series. Another thing that I have never heard of, to be completely honest. I've never seen this TV series, nor do I really have a want to, but I respect the game. And, you know, just because I don't enjoy something doesn't mean lots of people don't. This is a reality TV series that occurred on MTV. Richie, there were 36 seasons of the series The Challenge. So obviously a lot of people enjoyed it. I might not be one of them, but there were 490 episodes. Like so, a real world or something? I don't know, but clearly it did more than just find The Challenge TV series in at number six. Number five. Into the top five challenges in sports. You have the challenge flag in football. You have challenges in the NBA, challenges in the MLA. Now, you might be sitting here wondering, wait, I listened to your top 10 worst challenges on Tuesday, and you listed challenges in sports on there as well. That is true. Challenges in sports, very divisive, very polarizing. On one hand, they slow the game down. They make the game last way too long. Last two minutes of the game is going to take 20 minutes because, oh, was he out of bounds? Did it barely touch this guy's leg? Oh, should there be 1.8 seconds instead of 1.9 seconds? It slows the game down, so that's why it's bad, but also good. 
because sometimes you change a call that was really bad on the field to one that is the correct call and you get things right. So challenges are bad, but they're also good. Number four. Fourth best challenge, the phrase, challenge accepted. Where would a good bet a, you know, fun time out with your friends be without somebody saying challenge accepted to something stupid you said for them to do? Or putting a Carolina Reaper in your mouth, apparently. Yeah, I feel like you should have said challenge accepted before you did that. <laughs> Heck, you might have on the day we did our Rock Truck Round Ball Classic draft. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but the phrase challenge accepted, it gives you courage. It gives you the want to, I don't know, do something that might be stupid but might be fun and, and make everybody laugh. And it makes you a real people person. So phrase challenge accepted in at number four. Number three. Number three. Wing challenges, a.k.a. I like that. You know, I, I'd be fine making this as slashy as well. Wing challenges or eating spicy foods. Those are challenges. I like the wing challenge. That's a good one. So would you do Carolina Reaper wing sauce? I don't know about that. No? No. Too I, far I, there? If you want to give me like a quantity, maybe I might do Have you ever done a wing challenge I have before? not. No? No. But I, I've, I've seen people try, mm -hmm. so that'd be fun. Okay, well, I think these are the classic challenges you think of. You have, you know, six or eight really, really spicy wings, and you got to eat them. Uh, what makes these brutal is that, you know, unlike the Carolina Reaper necessarily, like you can just pop that thing into your mouth and eat it. Not that that makes it much better, but with the wings, you're getting the sauce all over your face, all over your lips, all over your skin, and it's just going to make it that much worse. But these are, I think, the original classic challenges. There were the big food challenges and the wing challenges. I think the wing challenges are better because, you know, I mentioned with the big food challenges, sometimes it's a little wasteful. You have a lot of food there. Like, I don't know. With the wing challenges, it is mastering, can I withhold all this pain? And that is a thing of beauty, which is why it's in at number three. Number two. Top two of the top 10 best challenges. Again, the crate challenge was on the worst list. Number two. The saltines whistling challenge. Have you ever just eaten a bunch of saltines and then you try to whistle? Uh, no, no, I've never tried to whistle. I only have saltines that might maybe nauseated, but I've never tried to whistle. See, this is the classic, like when you're, I don't know, eight, nine years old and you're there, I don't know, there happens to be some like saltines sitting about and your uncle or aunt comes up to you and says, hey, did you know if you eat whatever, like three or four of those, you can't whistle? And then as a kid, you're like, uh-uh, yes, I can. You try it, and you can't whistle. And it's a good laugh for everybody. Everybody gets a good chuckle. Grandma and grandpa laugh about it. And, you know, it's not the most hilarious thing, but everybody gets a good enjoyment, nice little grin, nice little cracked smile out of it. So the Saltines Whistling Challenge never hurt anybody, doesn't provide any pain, just good classic American family fun. Number one. But none of those are better than the number one challenge. We got very serious on our worst challenges with the challenger disaster at number one there. So we're going to get serious again at number one for the top 10 best challenges. That would be, what is it? I'm going to say the cinnamon challenge. No, that was on the worst challenges. Thanks oh, for listening. Oh. Uh, ice bucket <laughs> challenge in at number one, the ice bucket challenge for ALS awareness. Very good. It's a classic challenge because, I mean, it's still not something that you necessarily want to do. Like, you don't want to get poured a bunch of cold ice water on your back. But it brings awareness to a really good cause. Ice bucket challenge in at number one. Any issues with the list? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. I think okay. I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm good. No, I, 
I yeah, I'm I must have failed to listen on that one. I mm. apologize on that. That's how I think of you apparently. You're fired. Richie, ah, get out of here. Get out of here. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star normally joins us on a Wednesday, but the Royals went to extras yesterday and couldn't hold on against the Astros. So we had a very short show and weren't able to get Jesse on. So Jesse joins us now. Thank you for being flexible and joining us on a Thursday. Jesse, I was just talking about we're doing the receiver preview today. I've been going through all the different positions for KU football. KU has only had four different receivers since 2010, so over over an 11-season uh, span, who have had 600 yards in a single season. None have surpassed 900 yards or, therefore, 1,000 yards either. Does KU have a 600-yard receiver this season? No, uh, I would say no. Just rip the mandate uh, off. Yeah, there's 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 a reason it's tough for Kansas to do, and um, that's because of all the things you would assume. You know, like they haven't had great quarterback play, they haven't had standout receivers, and uh, both of those things apply to 2020, 2021 as well as they do to most of the other seasons that you were talking about there. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, rip the bandit off is right. I mean, that's that's just the reality situation. I. If they had a true number one guy, maybe you'd feel better about it. I mean, I guess right now you'd probably say that's Kwame Lasseter, but, uh, I mean, as far as number ones go in the Big 12 Conference, that's, again, he's a good, solid player. He's a good leader, all those sorts of things that you like. But, um, you know, nobody's mistaken him for Desmond Briscoe or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult for a KU player to do that. Plus, we know um, or are pretty sure that KU is going to be pretty run-dominant this year. They're going to rely mostly on play-action passes and, um, you know, basing that off the run game. So they're not going to be chucking it all over the yard like they were in some of the previous seasons either. So, yeah, I don't think it's happening this year. If it was, I guess maybe some of the big play threats is if you'd be looking at maybe even a guy like Trevor Wilson who uh, had pretty good success at Buffalo just basically running deep and then beating guys on play action, making one catch and getting 70 yards chunks, you know, that sort of thing. So maybe he's the best option. But, uh, no, I, I would probably say no for Kansas. I mean, the good news for them is that, um, you know, teams can win without having one dominant receiver, without having one guy that gets 600 yards. You know, you can win in different ways, but uh, it's just another one of those positions where there are a lot of questions for KU heading into the season, and I think you just added to the list. You add to the list of the unknowns for Kansas as they head into uh, the 2021 season where not a whole lot is settled when it comes, to, especially when you're looking at the offense. Yeah, I don't know what this says specifically about the team. I it- I don't know. I think I actually do know what it says, and it's a combination of the fact that I think you might have some good run blockers for receivers, but also you didn't have the best run blocking from the offensive line last year. But if you go look at Pro Football Focus, of the top four ranked run blockers a season ago for KU, three of the four were wide receivers, which again, that's not something you want with the offensive linemen, but I think from the very least of looking at this from the receiver position, the I would imagine, like you said, with the offense, maybe be more about the wide zone run and, and being more about the running game. The guys who can block, like like Trevor Wilson will get his time in certain situations, but the guys who can block and be the best blockers, which last year a couple names that Kwame Lasseter, LJ Arnold were guys that stood out in that specific category. Like I feel like they're going to be kind of mainstays in the rotation, even if that doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet in terms of receptions. Yeah, and again, I mean, you talk about um, the running game that Key's going to do, and the thing about it is if you can establish it and you can start blocking it well and you can sort of get the flow of those linebackers and have people be really concerned about that sort of thing, especially on those 
those runs to the outside, then what you get is, again, you're, you, you get some conflicts. I mean, that's what a lot of excuse me, college football is about and being an offensive coordinator is about is um, you, you get a defense to expect one thing, and then once you do that, you, you know, fake it and you go a different way. And, and that's where things can really open up for these receivers is if, if you get the running game going, then all, all of a sudden these linebackers are thinking, okay, I got to get to these spots. I got to try to take down this running back. I got to beat these blockers because they're pretty good at running in space. And then once you do that, you, you do a little bootleg, you go the other direction, and all of a sudden you've got two or three guys that are wide open because uh, the linebackers have flown crazy to the other, uh, to the other lane. So, um, and I do, you know, you mentioned uh, I'm probably selling Kwame Lasseter short, so I guess I'll go ahead and admit that right now because uh, now I'm looking at his stats from last season. He averaged 51 yards, 51 receiving yards per game. Obviously a different offense, but the reason he didn't get to 600 last year is because KU didn't play 12 games. You know, if you, if you go 12 times 50 uh, or 12 times 51, that's going to put you just over 600. So maybe I'm selling him a little bit short. Again, um, I think at this point you would have to call him KU's number one receiver. He was their number one receiver last year. And if he just kept the production he had last year, then potentially he could get to 600 yards, and maybe that's something that he's able to accomplish. But like I said, it's, it's a different scheme. It's a different mindset for Kansas. Plus, I don't think they're going to run tempo that often. I think they're going to try to keep possession and, and keep possessions down in games so that potentially, you know, can compete in the fourth quarter. So all those things being said, probably still uh, saying no 600-yard receiver. But um, like I said, I'm probably selling Kwame Lasser a little bit short. Potentially he could do it if he's able to keep up the same sort of production he had a year ago. Talking with Jesse Newell here of the Kansas City Star on RCST. You asked Lance Leipold, I thought, a really good question at the press conference on Tuesday about his fourth down philosophy. And I thought he gave a really good answer, too. Is that kind of the ideal way of doing things now in 2021 where it is based on kind of a mix of analytics and gut feel? Yeah, well, and like like you said, I thought his answer was fascinating because he talked about you know somebody in on his coaching staff at Buffalo had the sheet and he was open to it, and then there was like a fourth and short on his own end and on the first possession, and the charge had to go for it, and he was like, "You're crazy, basically." So <laughs> uh, it is it's sort of a blending of the two. Um, so I mean, it, it depends who you are. I mean, it's it, this is sort of I, I don't want to get political here, but it's sort of like being a politician, right? I mean you give an answer to a question and it depends on the audience that's receiving the answer, um, whether you're correct or not. I mean, that's sort of what fourth downs are. Everybody's got an opinion on it. Everybody thinks, hey, this is what should happen. Um, you know, if you're asking me just specifically, I'm probably one that thinks that KU needs to be a little bit more aggressive on fourth downs because um, we've talked about this before. For KU to win football games at this point in their development, they need to, um, what's called, increase variance. You know, they need they need crazy things to happen in games. They need to to do riskier things and have an opportunity for the game to not play out as it's expected to play out. Because if the game plays out as expected and you're a 14-point underdog or a 21-point underdog or a 28-point underdog, you're probably not going to win the football game. So if you're asking me, I think KU probably should be aggressive. And that's why Fold spoke to that. He said in the last three years he's taken more to the analytics, and numbers reflect that. You know, Buffalo's ranked, they're ranked top 10, I think 2018 and fourth down attempted. Uh, the next year we've been top, in the top 35, and then last year was kind of a weird one because they only played seven games, but they were trending towards like a top 40 to 50 ranking if they would have had a number of games the other teams did. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, th- th- this does make a lot of sense, and I think this is what you want probably if, if you're looking at Kansas as head coach, is you want them to be aggressive. You want them to, to have thought about this. You want the offensive coordinator to know where he stands so that, uh, as Lance Leipold mentioned, if you get to a third and six, you know it's 
a part of the field like midfield, and you're probably going to go for it. That way you can run a, a running play then and get four yards and then be prepared to go for on fourth down and have a little bit of an advantage that way. But, um, yeah, I think KU needs to, to push this. You know what I mean? Like, if I think KU needs to be aggressive because, like I said, at this point in development, they're not Alabama. They're not a team that can punt it away and then just rely on their defense to get a three and out and, and win the game that way. They're, they need to be a team that uh, pushes every edge they can get. And um, the numbers, you know, coaches are getting closer and closer to using ideal fourth down percentages based on the math, but uh, they're not quite there yet. So I think the more aggressive KU is, the more that they're trying to look for those tiny edges, the better it's going to be for the Jayhawks. And if it pulls you out one win in this next season or helps pull you out one win, then all that thought and all that effort will be worth it. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it's just about the amount of times you go for it. Like that, I, I agree with you. They do need to be more aggressive there, and uh, they should be moving forward. Uh, but I, I don't think they completely got, I don't know, uh, kind of just sat back on it last year or the year before under Les Miles. Now, they weren't one of the teams who went for it the most, but they didn't never go for it. But it's not just that. It's also about the execution in my eyes. And his answer about, saying, you know, it is it does matter what you do on third downs to get to the fourth down to make it more manageable. I think that might be something that you were missing in the past. And I also just think the execution in general of what you're going to do on the fourth downs, like 2019, KU was seven of 20 on fourth downs. And I would imagine most of those fourth downs, because these tend to be the most oftentimes you go for it on fourth downs, are those fourth and short situations where you probably should be converting them more than just seven out of 20 times. But I think back to some of those games, like the Coastal Carolina game in 2019, where I think you go 0 for 3 on on fourth down, or maybe this was the West Virginia game, just running this same like power toss up the middle with Puka Williams, who's not a power runner up the middle. I, I think as much as the aggression should improve for a team like this, it's also just about execution as well. And I think you'll probably get that under this staff a little better than uh, maybe in previous years. Well, you hope so. And uh, again, this is, this is one of the things I've been thinking back to previous conversations that we've had on this show um, with Nick, and this kind of has popped into my head. But, you know, I remember, um, listen, right now the staff's undefeated at Kansas. You know, they're going to do all right. They're going to do no wrong. Um, the, the thing is, once the game starts, the honeymoon period starts to end a little bit. You know, there's going to be things that the coaching staff messes up. There's going to be things that don't go right on game day. There's going to be timeouts that they use that fans are going to complain about. There's going to be execution that's not very good because they've only had a month to prepare. But I was thinking back, you know, um, to, to a conversation with Nick, and he was talking about the new offensive coordinator that you had under Les Miles and how they were going to do things and set up the whole offense for Puka, and shouldn't he be better because now they're going to use Puka and utilize him more than the David Bay staff did, and it, it turned out that the opposite happened, right? I mean, they didn't use Puka as much as they did before. And it turned out that David Beatty was the one who used Puka probably in the most effective way uh, of any of the coaches that uh, that were at Kansas over that time period. So I guess it's a long way of saying, yeah, you, you want it to be better, and some things will be better, and that's the hope for Travis Goff, the AD, and for Kansas fans is that some of the things that were very difficult for KU coaches in the past won't be as difficult for this staff because they've been around, they're experienced, they've been together with each other, and some of the game day hiccups perhaps shouldn't be there. But, again, we'll see. Um, we all haven't seen this staff on game day. We all haven't seen them in crunch time. We all haven't seen them on fourth down scenarios and what they're actually going to do um, You know, when, when these pressure situations come up. So uh, all that remains to be seen. But I think your general point is probably true that based off of the reputation so far, uh, you would think at least some of these things are going to be ironed out a lot better than they were in the past. 
Talking with Jesse Newell here, Kansas City Star. Over under end of the day next Thursday, so that's September 2nd, for finding out who the KU quarterback starter is. Okay, so over means after the day? or I didn't um, really think that you're, through, you're, yes. <laughs> here's, here's, okay, here you go. Uh, it, it will not be announced, period. So mm. it's it's one of those situations. You'll you'll see the guy run out there in the huddle the first possession. Uh, I, I'm just convinced hearing Lance Leipold talk and and listen, um, we've all been around a lot of coaches, uh, football coaches at Kansas, and for whatever reason, uh, it seems like Kansas is able to pick the ones that really care about this particular <laughs> thing. Um, but Lance Leipold falls in that category. I mean. Uh, he was asked about the quarterback stuff and, you know, seemed frustrated he's getting asked about it and gives the same answer. And I just don't think we're going to get a clear answer next week. Listen, part of this is a tough scenario. They want to keep evaluating. They want to be sure that they get the right guy. And Lance Heifold's guy says he doesn't want to rotate. So they probably want extra reps to make sure that they're choosing the right guy because he doesn't want to go two possessions here and then two possessions another guy. He wants to pick a guy, stick with them. And give them confidence. He's talked about how he played the position. He understands how that messes with your head if you're not actually the guy. Um, so I, I, I don't think you're going to know until that guy runs out there. I think they're going to keep that close to the vest. And, I mean, in a grand scheme of things way, uh, the South Dakota game means so much. I mean, if Kane get that win, it just takes a whole lot of pressure off of the rest of the season because otherwise you really are staring down the barrel the second straight winless year. And so if that gives KU the tiniest of advantages that South Dakota doesn't know whether Miles Kendrick or Jason Bean is going out there for the first possession, then I think it's something that Lance Leipold's going to hold on to, and he's just not that concerned with the stories I'm going to write or the talk shows that you're going to talk about. So um, maybe that's the best way to go about it. Uh, like I said, KU coaches, for whatever reason, have sort of always ascribed to that theory and, and have always seemed to go to the first game in the first possession with uh, not naming a starter, but I think that's going to play out this way as well. And like I said, all's well that ends well. If KU wins that first game against South Dakota with a quarterback who is productive, then uh, Lance Leifold will be seen in the right. And, and that's probably the thing that matters both to KU fans at this point. Yeah, I just I don't get that at all. Like, I, I can subscribe with the notion of, you know, okay, well, I've only gotten to see these quarterbacks, like, actually in person uh, for a month now. So I want to take this as far as possible just because – Every day of evaluation exponentially compared to what other coaches have seen their quarterbacks on is more valuable to me. So I get that, but yeah, if, if this is just about a competition thing, I, I really don't get that at all. You're playing an FCS team, like you should be able to beat them. It shouldn't matter who the quarterback is. And I, I don't really believe that South Dakota is in getting prepared for this game having to spend so much more time getting prepared for three quarterbacks than potentially just one or two guys. I, I don't know. I, I don't really buy that. Well, there are a couple of things. You know, for one, sometimes it's good to know what you don't know. I mean, a lot of coaches do this, and they have to prepare for other opponents. So uh, it seems to me, yeah. again, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm a journalist. I could tell you things about writing that other people on the outside might be like, hey, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal to me. The fact that coaches keep doing this tells me that it is sort of an advantage, and it is something because obviously it keeps happening here at Kansas. The second thing I'll say is I told this, and so was North Dakota State when they came in here and beat Kansas, and so was Nickel State when they came in here and beat Kansas. This is not an ordinary FCS game. I agree with you. If the program is where everybody wants it to be around these parts and everybody's hired to get it to around these parts, then, yes, it would be an FCS opponent and say, stop, don't worry about them. Just go run out 
of the tunnel and beat the FCS team. But I'm telling you, when you've been around this program, uh, as long as the people have that have watched this and as long as I've been writing about them, these are not gimmies. They're not. David Beatty lost his opener to an FCS team. Turner Gill lost his opener to an FCS team. David Beatty lost another one, a uh, home opener, to an FCS team. Uh, it's just not a gimme. It, it's not. So, again, if it gives you a .01% edge or you believe it does, uh, and, and you really in your heart of hearts think, think, that, think that that helps, uh, this game is huge for Kansas, and they have not had much time to prepare. So, um, yeah, uh, again, it's, it's his job to win games. It's his job to, to get guys ready and, and to give them the best chance possible to get at least one victory uh, over the course of the season. And uh, if he believes that's going to help him, then I guess – that's what he should do. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wonder about how it affects, you know, from a locker room presence. And because I, I would imagine even if they know who the quarterback is, but they want to wait to announce it for that strategic reason, they're not going to tell the team because they would be afraid that somehow it would leak out from, you know, it just all it takes is one guy on the team, even a walk-on, just talking to his friend, and then the friend talks to somebody else, and boom, all of a sudden it's out in the open that that guy's going to be the starting quarterback. And and that's what I would be worried about. I would at least want to know who that number one guy is in terms of getting him practice reps, in terms of the team knowing who to rally behind, because even in some of those years where you did lose to the FCS schools, you kind of did the same thing, and... I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't an advantage in those games, but you still lost. So I I, I just think it's a little silly, to be completely honest. And, and like you said, I guess coaches keep doing it, so maybe there's something to it. But whenever I see like what's going on at, you know, at Alabama or all these other schools, it's not happening there. So I, I don't know what it is about the University of Kansas that just invites this to happen. Well, I will say this, Derek. We don't know for sure with Lance Leipold. My guess is that he's not going to name it because he's been so quick to not answer the question so far. But maybe Game Week changes that. Um, and it, it's such a unique scenario, obviously. Um, Kendrick seems like the leader and the guy that does everything right, the guy that knows the playbook. And Jason Bean seems like the dude that's super fast and can make plays that you basically can't teach. So which direction do you want to go? <laughs> It's a really good, interesting, philosophical question. I'm sure that's being debated up there uh, in the offices, probably as we speak right now. So uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Again, these guys have been around. They've had these things in the past. But uh, I will say this. Lance Leipold has repeated over and over again. He doesn't want to rotate quarterback. He knows what it's like to play the position. And once he gets a guy, he wants to give them as much confidence as possible. So I don't think that this is going to be the quick hook thing, maybe like in some 10 years past. Uh, they're going to try to pick a guy and go with them, go with him for a little while, and uh, we'll see if that turns out. And again, we'll see if they announce the starter before game time. I don't think it's going to happen, but again, we don't know Lance Leipold fully yet and how he coaches, so it still might happen before September third. He's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Talk to you next week, Jesse. Can't wait to. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have a quarterback by next week. I'll be crossing my fingers, but uh, not holding my breath. <laughs> Sounds good, Derek. Appreciate it. All right, that's Jesse Newell. Check out all his great work at KansasCity.com and in the Kansas City Star. <laughs> 5 o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll let you hear from Emma Jones, the man who coaches all these receivers. Today is receiver preview day. We'll have the offensive linemen tomorrow, and then we'll be on to the defense next week, and next week will be game week, so that's exciting here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Finishing out on some of the receiver stuff, talked about some of the guys more individually in the earlier segment. This one I want to spend more on just kind of in totality. 
KU hasn't had a thousand yard receiver since Desmond Briscoe. That was in 2009. He had over 1,300 yards, and now you haven't had a thousand yard receiver since then. And in fact, KU hasn't even had a 900 yard receiver since 2010 either. They did get close in 2019. Andrew Parchment had 831, Stephon Robinson at 727. You add in Dalen Charlotte and Kwame Lasseter. Those are really nice receiving core. I mean, very, very good. Andrew Parchment, probably going to be a starter on Florida State. Stephon Robinson, probably going to be a starter on Northwestern. Dalen Charlotte was a guy who always felt like he had more talent than was being utilized by the coaching staff for whatever reason. And Kwame Lasseter has just been like a solid receiver these past couple years for KU. Really good receiving core. And honestly, if... Like you didn't have, say, Stephon Robinson or Daylon Charlotte that year. One of those guys probably gets 900 yards because there's more balls to go around. Like if Andrew Parchment doesn't have Stephon Robinson, he's getting more balls and maybe he does get 1,000 yards that season. So that year, really good receiving core. And I don't think it's any secret, again, why it's so funny. We almost like put that season on a pedestal now. At least that's how I feel like I have been doing it um, during these previews because of the fact that even though they went three and nine, they could have won four, five, six games. That's just kind of the state of the program over the last 10 years. But 2017, you also saw Steven Sims go for 839 yards. 2016, he had 859, so he was close to that 900,000-yard mark. Laquiviante Gonzalez in 2016 had 729. But over the course of 11 seasons, from 2010 through last year, that gives KU a grand total of, of just four receivers, four different receivers, Parchment, Robinson, and Laquiviante Gonzalez, and then Steven Sims did it twice, so technically five receiving seasons, but four different receivers where an individual KU receiver even surpassed 600 yards. That's it, 600. Forget the 900, forget the 1,000. Only four receivers have surpassed 600 yards at KU over the last 11 seasons. Do they have that guy in the roster? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they don't have that one guy. But if we look at this from more of a program aspect, you would think you should be heading there at some point because you have really good receivers coach, really good recruiter, and Emma Jones on staff. I mean, honestly, if you had all these receivers stay, like Andrew Parchment and Spawn Robinson, like who knows? Maybe you get there right now. But you think you're going to get there, and you have to get there to be competitive because you think about how many teams in the Big 12 have successful passing games. Oh, all of them? You have to be able to find that production from your receiving core. Now, keep in mind, KU's receivers also do have a pivotal part to play in the run-blocking game. This isn't just about pass catching, and especially with the wide zone. just makes me think, hey, you're running to the outside, wide zone. If you're going to the outside, mentioned this yesterday with the tight ends, who are guys blocking on the outside? Oh, that would be wide receivers. So you have an important role to play there as well. And, and that's not new. I mean, I'm sure every coach is emphasizing the receivers need to block, but it was definitely a big emphasis under Brent Deerman at KU. So I don't want to act like this wasn't before, but it's definitely going to continue to be. And I think it, especially you look at it when you try to help a unit that overall KU didn't grade out too well in run blocking a season ago. And what's interesting here, now this doesn't speak well for the offensive linemen, but it does speak well to the receivers being willing to commit and being willing to to lay their bodies on the line and block. If you look at KU's highest graded run blockers on pro football focus, 
three of KU's top four were receivers. Kwame Lasseter, Ezra Naylor, who's since graduated, I believe, or maybe transferred, I can't remember, and then LJ Arnold were three of the top four graded run blockers for KU. Stephen McBride even had a fine grade, but wasn't in that, that top four. So KU was getting good contributions from the receivers in run blocking, and that should be really important in the new scheme. Now, as far as how KU graded out as a team at the receiver position last year, if you look at pro football focus, they were just 117th in the country of 130 teams, and I, I think it was around 127 that actually played last year, 128. They weren't last in the Big 12, so that's a positive. Baylor was 120th last year. But still, obviously, room for improvement there, and that's receiving grade, not counting the blocking. There's multiple things that go into this. You know, part of it, there's only so much you can do depending on QB play and O-line play. If the offensive line doesn't give the quarterback time, how are you going to have time to have your route develop last season? Or if the quarterback is just missing you on throws, how are you going to be a good receiving core? So all these things play into each other. And I view those things are more important in this aspect anyway, but certainly if you can be as good as the 2019 group was, you're doing something right. You know, the goal isn't to get a guy at 900 yards or 1,000 yards. That comes organically because things are working. Just be a good unit overall, and that 2019 unit was, and it created some mismatches for opposing defenses. A lot of unproven youth, as we mentioned, on this receiving unit, really outside of Kwame Lasseter, the one senior of the receiving group, just have three upperclassmen. It's a very young group and one with a lot of potential. And so they won't be getting as many chances as that 2019 unit in terms of just how the offense runs. I'm sure there's going to be more running the ball and it's not going to be the air raid with Steven Sims. But the key is just going to be taking advantage of their opportunities when they get them and being good possession receivers for those short and intermediate routes that could definitely be a staple of the offense especially if Miles Kendrick is the quarterback, and just be good run blockers. I think they have that last one checked off. We'll see how deep they can get. We'll see how some of these young guys come together right away, if they can make good strides early in their KU football careers. And if so, I look at this position group maybe as one that you have a lot of question marks about this season, but I think they can answer a lot of questions about the future of the program at the receiver position when you look at all these young guys on the roster that if you do show some potential, you do show some good stuff on tape, then all of a sudden you're going to be excited about this position group headed into next year. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.